Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the host chair as we prepare to peek behind the curtain at parts of the golf world most tend to ignore. As we mentioned on last week's show, the survey results are in from Sydney Lord Mayor's community engagement on proposals to reduce Moore Park Golf Course by half. We're going to chat about that again today, but in a somewhat different context as we welcome to the show somebody who is a part of of getting public golf right. Robbie Stevenson is a PGA member and the GM at the Lynx Shell Cove, a city-owned facility on the New South Wales South Coast, which is proactive in making golf a part of the community. Robbie will join us in just a moment, but first, as all haste, co-host and show notes expert Adrian Lake, not even in the studio this week and you're assigning links for the show notes. Mm -hmm. What is going on? Well, that's what happens when you write an excellent article on public golf like you did about Moore Park, Rod's latest... uh, article uh, for Golf Australia magazine, the online uh, component of it uh, was an excellent um, rant, I guess. It's really just a backdoor way of me giving myself a, a pat a on rant. the back for a good rant. It's, it's, you know what? It's the only <laughs> it's the only thing that gets you up of a morning these days, isn't it? The uh, more par- talking about Moore Park. It's I'm like- surprised at how upsetting I'm finding this whole thing with Moore Park in so many ways. I really am. It's It has kind of taken on a bit of a... I think if you had a stethoscope over your chest, you'd see like the slightest pulsing of that cold black heart of yours. Yes. Well, when it, very, very slow. You must be very excited yeah. about today's conversation. Look, I am excited about today's conversation because it is nice. Whilst all that all Mar- whole Mar- Moore Park thing is a little bit ugly, we are going to talk about somebody who's getting it right. Um, time to introduce today's guest, a man who I think it would be fair to call an innovator. In this field, as mentioned, Robbie Stevenson's a PGA member. He's the GM at the Lynx Shell Cove south of Wollongong here in New South Wales. And while we focus recently, as rightly been, on so many instances of government getting public golf wrong, Robbie's here to help us understand a few ways to get golf right. Robbie, thanks for taking some time to chat. Looking forward to it today. Uh, thank you, Rod, and good morning, Adrian. Nice to uh, nice to have you here. Now, I want to start on a rabbit hole that's got nothing really to do with public golf. I was on the website, Link Shell Cove, doing a bit of reading this morning, get a bit of a history of the joint. I found this, Robbie. I want you to explain this to me. The course officially opened in January 2004 at an event attended by Costantino Rocker. What the hell's <laughs> going on there? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that is an interesting one. Um, the The original uh, lessees of the, uh, uh, of the business uh, was a guy named Tom Linsky, who ran a couple of properties up in um, southeast Queensland? Yes, and uh, Tom Long drive guy, and, Tom Linsky. Yeah, yes, so, I know Tom. And Tom, um, of one of my, of one of the many things Tom's done, he's a, an honorary member of the Italian PGA um, because he was teaching uh, some people over there and became good friends with uh, Constantina. There you go. Yeah, and I think um, Constantina played that day, and I guess. He's uh, the first name you see on the board when you walk in as the first official course record holder. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our mate J.E. John Evans who will be listening today, no doubt. Well, good friend of Tom Linsky's, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and knows Tom. Well, there you go. That I just mm. I read that and I thought to myself, that can't be right. I had to ask about it. So there you go, Costantino. It's a yes. long way from Palermo to Shell Harbour, you would have is, thought. It is, it is. And the, the, the more I get involved in the golf industry in Australia, the more Tom Linsky's name comes up. It's unbelievable. It's funny, you know, I think he's got a link yeah. to Mangrove Mountain. Um, oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think he and, uh, he and his partner, I think, uh, had a bit of a course design business and they did some early work on the Mangrove Mountain golf course, none of which is what we came He's to blame. Sure. To get <laughs> to that is harsh <laughs> and unnecessary. Like, harsh and unnecessary. Robbie... First of all, maybe explain to us very – and one last thing I had to mention on the rabbit hole before we get into the public golf 
Robbie came to our Barnboogle Dunes Golf Course Architecture Tour a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Like, yeah, I didn't realise Robbie was so a PGA member. I didn't realise what a player he was. We teed it up in the first round in a four-club breeze, and he slipped it around in a snappy one-under. Really? Hitting <laughs> some of the most extraordinary short-game shots you've ever seen in your life. So uh, it was quite the revelation. <laughs> when we hit off, I didn't realize. I thought, hey, he's probably a one or a two market. No, a bit better than that. So that was a good fun day and a good fun trip, Robbie. So it was good Great to have you. Great fun. Thank you, Rod. Let's talk about Shell Harbour. What's or Lynx Shell Cove. What's the history of this place? Because it's quite a long one, but it's come to be owned ultimately by the council down there, by the city, hasn't it? That's not how it started life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it is, it is a bit of a long history, but I'll just go into it quite as briefly as I can. Um, the course is part of the overall Shell Cove Marina project and uh, Shell Cove development there. Um, originally, the Shell Harbour Golf Club uh, occupied uh, a site where the marina is now. So the uh, city and developers built a course, um, which we're at now on the site, which is a couple of kilometres away from the original uh, golf club. Mm-hmm. And um, from it opened, as we said, in 2004, and it was uh, privately less leased out to uh, a private company, uh, and they operated the facility from 2004 till 2008, uh, and since 2008, Council has uh, operated and owned the facility since then. Um, look, I guess it's probably no secret now, but it, when the course was first built, um, it was built in that era when... Oh, how can we say it? Architects were, were trying to out-championship <laughs> out each other. Yeah. Is that is that the best use yes, of indeed. the words? Yes, out-championship each other. Yeah, so um, uh, it, it was funny, actually. Um, Tom, I had my interview around the course, and um, uh, and I played with Tom Linsky. Uh, we played nine holes, and uh, Tom said, uh, what did you think? And I got in, I said, Tom, you're absolutely kidding yourself. He goes, what do you mean? I go, mate, I'm a pretty good player. I've just come off playing the mini tours and stuff. Um uh, so I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I lost four balls in eight holes and I didn't have much fun. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I guess the honesty got me my got me the job. And uh, uh, what we've been doing ever since is to try and um, make the course more playable, Rod. Now, really? whilst we yeah. laugh at that, just on a side note there, whilst we laugh at that, Robbie, that's a serious problem in golf, isn't it? This notion Mate, that hard equals good. Mm. Ridiculously serious. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. Um, and of course, and what that does do is actually drive people away from the game. We do all the hard work to attract them to have a go at it. And we put them on a golf course that's impossible, like the one we just watched at the Honda Classic this past week with water everywhere and all this spectacular looking uh-huh. stuff on television. It's impossible yeah. for most people to play. I mean, imagine what a 10 marker would shoot around there. They'd, they'd have 95. Oh, if they were lucky. Playing well. If they were lucky. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> if they finished, actually. <laughs> they did that. They ran out of balls. That sawgrass <laughs> once, yeah. Yeah. I've got no desire to play that course, like a, the Honda Classic course. No. Whatever the hell that is. No. I don't know. But, no. yeah. PGA um, National Championship. Anyway, sorry. So you were going. Yeah. So, no, no. So that's uh, that, that's where we sort of get this, gets us to where we are now. And um, uh, look, I will thank the, the, the current set of councillors. Uh, back in 2013, we started a business plan um, to deliver what we're about to deliver now. Or and they've come. been, um, I think, more so than, I, we're, I guess, where we'll get into more park, our, our set of councillors and public representatives have been very supportive of golf, mm. which is probably the difference. 
Yeah, indeed. Mm. We'll, we'll come to some of that in a moment. It sounds like just the notion of having a vision for a marina and a golf course, a little bit of vision at the council down there. Of course, they do have the advantage that Sydney doesn't have, of being a fairly greenfield site in many ways, Shell Harbour. I worked in Wollongong in the 80s and 90s, and that area is one of the fastest growing in Australia at the time. So it's not not like Sydney where you're trying to retrofit things all the time, but it yeah. does show some sort of a bit of a, a, a vision in there. And the inclusion of golf at the time, was it – an understanding that it could be part of the community, or was it, do you think, more about golf at that time was Greg Norman and Big Bucks? Uh, look, my, my gut instinct is is that the uh, that the developers and council were taking over the golf course land to build the marina, so there was a at least a moral obligation to continue golf in Shell Harbour. So I think that's why it's on our site now. So it's on the, on the right foot. Um, Correct. In yeah. that sense. All right. Uh, now, talk about a little bit about uh, sort of golf and community. It's a huge focus for you down there. You do a lot of work around this notion of making the golf course a hub for everyone in the community. Give us some examples of how you sort of do that and how the community fits in, how it locks together with the golf course. Yeah, right. I guess I, as I told you earlier, I've been following the, the Moore Park situation and, and previous to that, the Victoria Park. Um, situation in up in Brisbane City, and I, I guess uh, I guess I didn't want to get caught red-handed or get caught behind the times. I, I saw the writing on the wall, and um, yeah, part of the business plan back in 2013 was that part of the pitch to the councillors was, guys, we occupy a fair bit of land here, um, and currently only you know eight to nine percent of the population are using it. Uh, we need to become more relevant in the community uh, straight away. Let's get on the front foot. Um, and how we've done that is we've firstly started opening up the, the tavern or our what you would call the golf clubhouse. Mm-hmm. We rebranded it as the tavern so that people didn't think it was just a golf club. Um, and right now we're probably the one of the, if not the busiest, one of the busiest uh, pubs or hospitality venues in the region. Um, and that's happened over the past five or six years. So that's been the first part of it. Uh, and then uh, on top of that, we've got plans um, opening up a mini golf facility in a couple of weeks, which will be fantastic. And other than that, we've got plans to really just engage with the community um, and have community events. Uh, we have hold a lot of uh, community events in the mornings. We've got the, you know, the, the oldies have their exercise groups uh, in our in our tavern space in the mornings. Um, we've got exercise groups out on the uh, out on the course in the afternoons. Just community stuff like that, Rob. Using the space for things other than golf at those times when golf isn't there. Yeah. It's refreshing to hear, isn't it, Adrian? One of the issues I see with councils and golf, and generally within the council, there's not much of an understanding about golf. The responsibility to actually encourage people to try the game and use the facility that the council owns. When the library is losing business, the council doesn't just say, oh, we'll shut it and use it for something else. So how do we encourage people to use it more? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's not a, well, it's a 180-degree flip, isn't it, from the attitude we <laughs> see about golf? Yeah. yeah. And, Rob, Robbie, you, you, something you said there really struck me where you said only 8 or 9% of the community were using the golf course at the time. Most golf courses would look at that and say, That's 8 huge. or 9% are using <laughs> it. <laughs> that uh, is enormous. What, what made you think, oh, we can do better than that? Um, I, I just, when the time come, when the time come to fight our, because it, it will come, maybe not while I'm there, but 
there will be a time when someone else in the community wants out wants the golf course of space. It will happen. You know, we've seen the writing on the wall. I thought that if we've got the backing of the entire community, then they won't even try and fight us. They'll just go look elsewhere for the space. Does that make sense? It does. Mm. It does. And that's and it doesn't mean everybody has to play golf. No. But no, the no, use no. of the facility, as you say, and this is what we see in Scotland, with, which we talk about quite often, is the golf courses aren't over there. They're not fenced off. They're a part of people's daily lives. They walk through or past the golf course area. They don't feel excluded from it. They're the community, they're centre of the community yeah. often. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Ro- ro- often ro- you, when you clubs hit the nail close, on the head there with a fence. Like the, the fence, fence yeah. is just my biggest pet peeve around a golf course. Um, and, and we have one. Um, but I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing everything I can <laughs> to, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to take the fence down, but I think we'll be able to get some access points. Have you got uh, ready your talking points for when the first lot of vandals come in and do something to one of the greens and the members come storming into your office yeah. to tell you that it's your fault for taking the fence down? Oh, 100%. And, and I think I think you just got to keep the greater good in mind. And, and I actually think uh, – have you been down to our facility, Rod? I no, have I, not, which is to my has. eternal shame. Yeah, so we've got a lot of residents around, and I think my thinking is is that those residents, if you make them part of your community, they'll actually act as your security guards. Yeah. They'll actually, you know, if people are doing the wrong thing, they'll probably call us and tell us, I'd say. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. 100% agree, and I think uh, that will always be somewhat contentious, but I do think that the game could do, take an enormous leap forward with its image if there yeah. was a lot less fences around golf courses and a lot more. Yeah, you can walk through the course, you just need to follow this path because that's the safe way. Yeah. I've got a little story, Rod, during COVID. Um, we, we, because we're a public owned facility, we closed for a fair bit of time. We were closed for 30 days. The course um, or the clubhouse, you mean? The t- no, the course. The oh, course right. Was actually okay. closed for about 30 days, yeah. Right. And, um, probably partially open for another 30. But during those 30, we sort of sent some stuff out to our residents and say, look, you know, if you wanted to, uh, access the course to walk and ride your bikes around the car paths and do whatever you want. You know, feel free because uh, we you know, got the email addresses. So we sent that out and um, some people took it up and I was obviously on site every day um, and uh, went out to the back nine there on this hole 16 at one point and um, I was in a golf cart and uh, a, a father was there with his two kids and they were, they'd set up a, uh, a little mini soccer goal on the middle of the fairway and I drove up to them and they, I saw the sheepish look on their face going, oh, no, we're going to get kicked off here. And I went up to them and said, guys, how are you going? going which house do you live in? Fantastic. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. This is what we wanted. You know, mm. How good did it look? They were kicking soccer goals in the middle of the fairway. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. But their initial reaction was, I'm in trouble. I'm yep. in trouble. Yep. Does that make sense? So well, that's, that's the attitude golf, out there. Golf they're not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. The attitude initially is that they're not allowed. Yeah. Golf is always the, the bad guy in this stuff, isn't it? Yeah. We saw a similar thing happen with Northcote down in Victoria where they opened it to the local community. And, of course, that has now, in a way, it's the wrong word, but I think it um, it sort of sends the message. That's kind of backfired. you got a local community now around the Northcote golf course saying, well, we don't want this to be a golf course again. We want this to stay as a place where we can wander around oh, okay. uh, and just use as we please. What do you say to those people, Robbie? And how do, how do, we, how do we sort of make it the case for golf in situations like that? Well, I think it's just it's coexisting, right? I think it's coexisting. I think you know I've looked at it obviously uh, what what how I would handle that, and we would just set times aside. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. after generally we're quiet after two three o'clock. Come out and kick the football. Come out and use it as a 
cycling track. This you know? part of the golf course, that mm-hmm. part of the golf yeah. course. Yeah. You can use yeah. these holes because they're done by this time of day and we haven't got people sort of yeah. sort of playing on them. I don't have all the answers for that no. in that space, but there is an answer there somewhere. Yeah. Part of the problem with the Moore Park discussion is it's a, it's a very binary notion that's yes. been put forward by the City of Sydney. They have simply said there's either kind of golf or no golf. There's either half golf or <laughs> no golf. It's not a helpful way forward, is it? Unfortunately, Robbie, I think golf's probably been guilty of playing that same game as well, of saying, well, this is a golf course. It is only for golf. Nothing else shall mm-hmm. ever happen on here. Mm-hmm. That kind of needs to change, doesn't it? Yeah, I 100% agree, and that's, uh, I guess, what we're trying to do. We've realised that we can't be that anymore, and um, whether that was right or wrong at the start, I'm not, not one to judge that, but it's not going to be the case moving forward, so you have to coexist and um, and as I said, Rod, I've been following the Moore Park story for a long time, and my biggest pet peeve about the whole thing is that it seems like it's golf or nothing, uh, and no one's even looked at suggesting that they can coexist. No, that's right. No, no one's even brought up, you know, there's facilities in the States now that coexist even. So I wish someone would explore that avenue before we went one way or the other. Mm. Well, the problem is their their version of coexisting is to say nine holes instead of eighteen That's right. holes. Well, there, there's no shades of grey considered there, and and also the issue with this report, um, which we're we going to link to in the show. Notes. Are we going into that now? Yeah, we do that now. Okay. Well, yeah, I think this is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the report titled, I mean, it's so biased right from the start. It's titled "Engagement Report on Reconfiguring Moore Park Golf Course," uh, which is pretty pretty ridiculous way to title a report that. It's that's not, it, not exactly eye-catching. It doesn't roll no. off the tongue. No, but it's also presupposing yes. the conclusions. Yeah. Um, but it, it's uh, they will go straight to the solutions in the very first questionnaire that was put to the public, where they talk about here's the, here's your options, okay? And they they did a phone survey first of all, and here's your options: reconfigure the course to nine holes and create eighteen hectares of new parkland. Create. Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. So infuriating, isn't it? They, they create. Yeah. Or option two, reconfigure the golf course to nine holes and create 20 hectares of new parkland in a different area um, or retain the 18-hole golf course. So there's three options. Two of them involve this binary reduction to nine holes. It's not a reduction. They're creating parkland. Oh, sorry, sorry. There's now going to be more grass and trees there than there was previously. They're created parkland. I, I missed the point there. But anybody who does surveys of this sort knows – how much you can bias the result by the way you ask the question. And they, they've not only seemingly deliberately biased the result with these questions, but presupposed the outcome with the way they've titled the, the whole thing. And uh, they've also jumped straight to the solution, which is part of the problem. Like, they've, like, there's no consultation if you're just saying it's either solution A, B, or C. They actually, it's an uninformed survey so like you haven't educated the public at all you haven't actually done any consultation with the public at this point to work out what their needs are no it's just gone straight to the solution none of this has come from the public people aren't knocking down the doors of sydney city council saying what are you going to do about this moore park golf course which is taking up all this space that we want for something else have you got that in front of you that document adrian on that cover letter that more that clover moore sent out she actually suggests that this is a win for golf or a fair outcome for the golf course because they get to keep nine holes. 
Is that what she says? <laughs> I, I don't remember that. Yeah. The cover letter that went out with the flyers, I, I didn't get to that in yeah, my column. That's, it? Oh, that's in one of the appendices, isn't it? Yeah. You're yeah. not going to make me look at it again. No. <laughs> your, your, well, isn't that new Mac with the M1 chip super duper? I oh. thought you would have had it up uh, by now. Uh, how would you, Robbie, if you were the GM at Moorpark, and look, they're in a tricky situation. Mm. There's a management company that's in there, and politically, Correct. this is obviously extremely sensitive, and they need to be extraordinarily careful about how they deal mm-hmm. with all this. If you were there, what sorts of things would you be saying and doing? How much actual scope does the club have or the, the facility itself to influence what's going on? This is happening, obviously, between some fairly antagonistic political adversaries in the New South Wales State Government and the City of Sydney Lord Mayor. None of that's got anything to do with golf. This is just one of the footballs that they're kicking around. Puts the golf club in an awkward position, doesn't it, or the facility itself and those who run it, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I think it, obviously in that situation it does put the operators there in a, in a tricky situation because they want to uh, – I, I know that they want to keep their uh, keep their lessee agreement there for as long as they can. Um, but I think it goes back to – you asked what, what would I do in that situation. I think it goes back to what uh, you touched on earlier, Rod, in that golf for a long time has said uh, – uh, no, no, they've stuck their heels in the ground and said, no, we're going to stay in 18 hole golf course, rah, rah, rah. Um, they haven't actually offered up a so We haven't actually offered up a solution as as yet. I guess what I'd be doing is offering up a, an alternative solution. And I, as I said earlier, I think there are solutions. Um, you know, Chambers Bay in the US, in the United States, they've got a fully integrated golf course with uh, walking trails, riding trails around it. I think I'd be looking into potentially redeveloping maybe there's an opportunity to redevelop the entire site um, of centennial parklands um, maybe keep an 18 hole golf course maybe there's only room for 14 holes but at least when you do build those 14 holes uh, they're world-class 14 holes uh, and integrated into that is potentially picnic areas uh, yeah a walking trail etc etc um, it's my understanding I, I don't know the exact figures but the Golf course there at Moore Park, it doesn't take up the entire um, uh, area, does it? It's only about is it about thirty percent of the parklands. Oh, oh no, much, much less than that. Yeah. It's much less than that. Yeah, it's forty-five yeah. hectares out of a couple of hundred, I think. Out of yeah, well, almost three hundred. So, yeah. it, does that make sense? Why don't they just look at the entire the entire parklands and and do an integrated facility with the whole thing? Maybe that's a solution. Yeah, I agree with that. Of course, maybe, yeah. maybe we can get 36 holes out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's There's right. an awful lot of that's spare right. land over there at Centennial Park. Yeah. You can turn into decent golf. There's nice holding ponds and the, stuff yeah. in, the, in the park. <laughs> the, the upside of that, Adrian, if we were to do something like what Robbie's talking about, and nobody's pretending that is necessarily simple, an awful lot of politics and complications to go with it, you could actually turn this from a situation of you know what we've got at the moment, which is antagonistic, to Sydney and Sydney City forming something that could be a world first and actually a world leader in this is how you do public golf in a heavily mm-hmm. populated urban area. That's an opportunity oh, yeah. that Sydney is kind of missing out on in a way, isn't it? Yeah, also from a yeah, from a uh, uh, environmental point of view as well, uh, that area could be a lot better preserve. Um, parts of Centennial Park are quite good, but there's a lot of introduced species there. There's an opportunity for more park to actually go back to what it was because going back to what it was where there's a lot less of these introduced trees, there's a lot of uh, ferny scrub and sandy, you know, it's, it's the same sort of sandy land that you have up the road at Bonnie Doon and the Australian under under five foot or so of, of dirt at the Australian and uh, 
the lakes and stuff. It's that same. It's all part of the Sydney Sandbelt at Moore Park, and they've got some really dramatic dunes there. Actually, it's from a mm. golf point of view, yeah, it really can do. be some of the best land. If you take it back to that, it's actually great for golf. It's great for the environment. It will be a little island of of actually indigenous uh, envir- like an environmental haven amongst the whole of Centennial Parklands. Where it'd be the only area which would be able to claim that. And in redoing it, you could do the the paths and yeah. everything. You'd have better golf. You'd have the integrated paths. You'd have the shared area, uh, the the shared areas. Um, and uh, it would be a world first thing. And what an asset for Sydney because it's, uh, you know, such a good game. It all, it's already a very good public golf course. Yeah. So close to a CBD. Closest of any I can think of. I can't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there, there's And it's obviously benefiting from that because it's so bloody busy. It did almost 90,000 rounds in 2020. Staggering. How do you kick the grass in any kind of condition under those things? People listening internationally, 90,000 rounds this golf course did in 2020. (laughs) 90,000. That's people, people's minds just pop when they hear that. And that's the golf course that is getting targeted. Like that's ridiculous. There's an element that we'll discuss. Well, actually, we'll, we'll discuss it now. I want to come back to some of the human elements, uh, Robbie, which you would be familiar with as well. Sandy Jamison's doing an amazing job on Twitter, almost daily post yeah. pictures and stories of people who use the public facility there. And I'm sure every public golf facility has those stories to tell them. We'll get some of yours perhaps uh, a little bit uh, later. What was the point you were just making? I wanted to talk about that. I don't, there were so many good points there. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't, laughs> the, the opportunity to redo more park and make it a great asset for the city. Yes, not that one. There was, yeah, I got, I got others. Oh, when sure. I was um, finishing up in the states, uh, the, the, I lived in um, in Colorado. The city of Denver had, was just starting a project called uh, Common Ground. That was um, Tom Stoke, wasn't it? Renaissance. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was just out. It was literally in the city, um, and they are absolutely killing it now. Um, similar to Moore Park, lots and lots of rounds, uh, and that's actually home. I think it's home to the Colorado Golf Association. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that when I was there, it was politically, it was a big. Um, big storm but they i guess what to rod's point they became a uh a a template for how golf can be done in the city and maybe you know more park can be like that i I like that name too common ground yeah beautiful i've I've always been saying you should a lot of these problems would go away if you renamed more park (laughs) more park common yeah yep yeah golf course names let's not go down that route aren't they awful Oaks, trees, rivers, gums, awful stuff, awful stuff. Let's come to some of that human element, Robbie, as I mentioned. Sandy's doing an amazing job on his Twitter feed, James, and today's example was remarkable. Marcus with a, you know, on a paragolfer, which I would say um, if they weren't the first Moore Park to introduce the paragolfer, they were among the first five golf courses in Australia to introduce a full-time paragolfer on site for people with paraplegia to be able to use to play golf. It's a remarkable piece of equipment if you've never seen it. Um, and their driving range is set up. I think they've got two bays that are capable of uh, the paragolfer being used there, So, which is a remarkable and fantastic thing to do. But what about some of those human stories, Robbie? You mentioned already when you're doing lockdown, people playing soccer on the fairways. <laughs> what about some of the other people who use the facility, both for golf and non-golf, where that the physical location is an important asset for those people? Yeah, well, look, 100% it is. And golf has always had that going for it in that it does have that human element to it. Um, I guess, as uh, I mentioned earlier, we, our, our building, uh, is 
every, I think, four times a week, we host the, uh, the oldies come and do their exercises, and it's a way to keep them engaged with the community. Um, we've got a few, uh, not just members, but we've got a couple of uh, just members of the community that come down and um, uh, do the tees, do the par three tees, so they sand the par three tees, and they're not even golfers, uh, which I think is fantastic. Um, one thing are they that, wearing the correct socks when they go out on the golf course? <laughs> no, okay. no mate, as, long, no? as long as you're dressed at our lunch, mm. you can get on. Okay, all right. Um, as long as you have clothes on, that's right. Shoes, um, are, shoes are made. As long as, as long as you're comfortable with that, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, that's right. Um, one thing I, I'm excited to um, explore a little bit further is just before COVID, we were down the track with uh, an organisation called Park Run. Do you know? Have you heard? I've about heard that? of it. They're big in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, and obviously they COVID locked them down as well. But um, we're thinking about using uh, the golf courses for one of the park run uh, events. Mm. Um, it's a just a community event that runs every Saturday morning, uh, and they've got a five kilometre trail. Uh, and look, a, a golf course is perfect for a little five kilometre trail mm. around it. So, really looking forward to exploring that a little bit more. What are the issues almost, around that, Robbie? I assume safety is the first safety. one we all think of. Golf balls flying yeah. around the place. But almost every games. golf course could find a safe uh, I would trail so. somewhere through it. Where, where yeah, up well, in Maitland, there was a horse track through the middle of the course. Like, 100%. There, there, there is a way to do it. Like, we think that, yeah, we would just do the trail, you know, starting literally, you know, if you started at 8 in the morning and you and you went 18 backwards, you wouldn't run into anyone. Yep. You know, yeah. Can you... Give them a drinks cart as well. They can do, when they <laughs> do finish. double duty. <laughs> <laughs> Not whilst they're doing it. They're going anything. backwards from the 18th. Yeah. It really is terrific to be hearing about these real programs happening on the ground at Link Shell Cove and moving public golf in a direction that it really does need to go. And let's hope that there are plenty of others in the public golf industry who are listening. Now, I didn't break in just to tell you that the rest of this interview is worth sticking around for. As regular listeners know, we have ourselves a network sponsor here at Talk and Golf, and that sponsor is thegolfsociety.com.au. Now, if you've not checked them out before, they're Australia's only online golf apparel concept store, stocking the best names in the game at the best prices. Hugo Bosfile and Scott, Ralph Lauren, G4, Under Armour, the list goes on. Shirts, shoes, clothing and accessories all in the one place and all 20% off for Talk and Golf listeners. Head to thegolfsociety.com.au or follow the link in the show notes below and remember to use the code TG at checkout for your 20% discount. That's thegolfsociety.com.au. Now back to Robbie Stevens and the story of the Lynx Shell Cove. Are you finding, Robbie, that other community groups are engaging with you because they know that the golf course has this position of trying to welcome the community? Like, are people oh, – Parkrun might not be the example, but if someone would come to you and say, hey, look, we've heard that Parkrun are going to use the course. Can we get some access for something that we want to do? Are you finding that sort of thing? And how do you go about letting other community groups and centres know that the course is kind of open for business, so to speak, in terms of talking about using the space? Yeah, that's a great point. I think, look, the Parkrun's a great example on – once we do get that up and running, I believe that more community groups will come in. Mm. Yeah, at the moment we've had uh, you know, the smaller groups uh, that do the outside uh, group exercise classes mm-hmm. now that they're allowed to start up again. We've got a few of them that come out uh, and do their, do their group exercise classes on the course, which I think is fantastic and it looks great. Um, uh, another little one that we're exploring is um, that I think would be fantastic for the Shell Arbor community is um, – there's a couple of walks, like a couple of coastal walks, and there's a little bit of the coastal walk that's missing, and it actually happens to run through the golf course. So 
hopefully we can um, chat to some uh, other other groups and try and link the community walk. So we're trying to link Kayama in with um, Shell Harbour and make a – if we did that, there'd be literally be a coastal walk that went from Jeringong right up past Wollongong right up through um, Stanmore Tops. That's really. a hell of a walk. Mm. It's quite like- <laughs> It would be a hell of a walk, but, um, uh, yeah, so I think uh, yeah, golf just has to open itself up to those kinds of ideas. It's really what it is that Robbie's talking about there, Adrian, is golf being proactive, making the suggestions yeah. ourselves. It's Nobody from outside—that's right. Nobody from outside of golf is going to come to us and say, "Hey, can we share your space?" That's right. If you if you pre-share it, um, you and have more people like raise up Robbie's eight or nine percent of the community using the golf course to fifteen, twenty percent using the, the golf course or some part of the golf facilities. There's a buffer there then. That it also becomes an outlier, like compared to other golf courses and other community statistics. Your public golf course becomes an outlier where people go, "Wow, look, look at that! We're not yeah. touching that." That's something special that's about our community is the yes, fact that right. that one is outperforming all comparable ones yeah. in in other communities. So, uh, I, I think what you're doing, you know, raises the the standard or raises the bar for other councils to use their golf facility better. Um, and there's some good ones out there. Yeah, we just want them, we just want them to go somewhere else, I guess. We're trying to be <laughs> yeah. selfish that way. Not in uh, my backyard. You're, but you're, yeah, you're looking right. to do this as a bit of a like you're creating a bit of a blueprint, Robbie, that you can give to other councils and give to golf course operators that they can take to their council. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a, a paper going to be delivered to the council later this year that just outlines some of these ideas that I've spoken about today. But yeah, acts as a bit of a blueprint for how it can be done um, and I want to help all golf operators out there uh, and this is a way that it can be done and look I'm not going to take all of the credit for that the what got me started on this was um, what Andy Staples did in, in the states mm-hmm. with uh, I think he's got two or three community courses that he's um, turned around now um, the one at uh, well, I think New Mexico was uh, probably the best example Rockwind Community Links Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it, is it the one with the zip wires? We had Andy on the show back in the IC. I've, I've never obsessed, been fascinated by this notion of zip, zip lines going through a golf course. A yeah, I think that was that one, yeah. Gives yeah. it something to aim at. Oh, take yeah. it easy. That's the problem with golf. Oh, sorry, You're the sorry, problem sorry. with golf. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, he's amazing, isn't he, Andy? That concept he's coming with is fantastic, that community golf. Mm-hmm. So that's all available on his website, isn't it, Robbie? I guess that's where you can get yeah, all the information. It, it can be done, yes. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You mentioned earlier, Robbie, that yeah, sort of a passing line as you were talking about something else that, you know, whether it's in your lifetime or not, these pressures aren't going to go away for golf. Now, even if we win, quote unquote, the battle for more park this time around, all you're doing is kicking the can down the road. We're going to have more of this in the future. Those pressures are only going to grow. How do you future proof golf's golf in urban areas? If we lose golf from urban areas, that's a real tragedy. If, mm-hmm. if urban kids, are excluded from golf simply because there is no golf accessible for them. I mean, that's a... That- well, it's a human tragedy, but it's also an environmental tragedy because, as we say, if you look at any map of a city in Australia, the only green spaces... There's significant proper green spaces. ...are, are golf courses. Are golf that's courses. What it, it, it holds back the um, the march of suburban yeah. sprawl. Like yeah. it's, You do get the occasional big green spaces like a Centennial Park or Bicentennial Park in Sydney. Not big enough, apparently. But... Need almost another 18 every, to 20 hectares. Exactly. We're just going to create overnight. Okay. Almost every other park in Sydney are tiny little blocks, like tiny, um, which which really sort of helps make the point that 
to make a shared space. Like, people don't require large, like, colossal spaces for parks. They, they do have that available to them with Centennial Park and Bicentennial Park and others, Hyde Park. But a lot more micro parks exist than those do. I and think the count- mentioned, I think the council is um, building or insisting on a bunch of those as part of all new developments that get built, right. which is what they should be doing. And little parcels of the golf course are, you know, again, mm-hmm. we get into this shared space or uh, time sharing as well. I think that's part of it. Um it, it's just so easy. You don't have to. It's just again. It's not this whole binary thing. It's not the whole golf course. A lot can be done in a very small parkland. You see it all over Sydney in little parks, little tiny suburban parks. Kids to play and that sort of stuff. So back to that question about future proofing. The answer I'm looking for here, Robbie, is that injecting golf and it's up to golf to do it proactively. Injecting itself into being a part of the community is actually the best way to future proof the game. Oh, that's exactly right. The, the, you want the your place to be the community hub, uh, the meeting place. That's where they have their meetings. That's where the, you know, we've got our the local fo- football rugby league clubs that we support. They hold their you know, monthly meetings at our venue. That's the place you need to be. And and yeah, you know, none of the football clubs play golf, but I get I bet you if they wanted to take our green space office, they'll be the first ones to support us. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. those those ties go deep into the community because while some not many on the council might have an involvement in golf, if they've got a second or third uh, you know, that six degrees of separation idea, their nephew is part of the footy club that trains at the golf course. It gives them a connection that they otherwise don't yeah. have where it's got and, no. and and getting to the, you know, park run situation, you know, there's gonna be two hundred and fifty people that are potentially gonna that's right. Yeah, run, run around our course one Saturday a month. They're, they're not going to want to let it go. That's they? right. Take the golf course away. You take our park run away, and that's a whole other hundred percent. Yeah. Game. A couple of things to sort of finish up on here, Robbie. What's been the reaction of golfers within the club? I can only assume that there would have been some resistance to a lot of the ideas that you're floating initially. That's historically not how golf's been, and most who would have been a part of the club would have grown up in a golf environment very different to the idea of sharing. And what have been perhaps benefits for golf? Have you, do you think that this sort of attitude you put out into the community has drawn more people to the game itself? That'll be muddied by the COVID mm. boom that we've Correct. had obviously the last 12 months. But just talk about those things firstly, golfers and how they initially reacted to some of the plans. Um, look, we were in a, a fantastic position to, to do this. Um, and I mean, Adrian knows that you wouldn't just offer up this at, uh, at most golf clubs around that you, you wouldn't even get past the first board meeting. Um, we're in a fantastic position in that uh, I don't have a, a golf club board. Um, I just report straight to the council. So, yeah, politically- crazy with power. Was, GMs across yeah. the country have just stopped <laughs> and looked to the heavens and thought, wow, no board? How yeah. do we do that? Yeah. So, I, I'm not going to say that uh, it was, yeah, but that was- the first hurdle, which was uh, easy easy to overcome. But you're right. There was, uh, you know, taking down the fences and, and this stuff I've talked about, there was definitely some um, definitely some um, antagonists against all of that. However, look, you, at some point you just got to stand up and go, Which yeah, if, if that's your stance, then, you know, there's three other golf clubs in the area that you can go join. Because um, we – I've told the staff and everyone around us, this is not going to be for everyone. Um, if you want to, you know, your traditional golf club and you turn up on Saturday and everyone, you know, does, does the traditional stuff, then 
you're not going to be happy here. Um, That's what private golf got, is for, isn't it, Robbie? Yeah. So we've got music playing out of our building and it plays while people are hitting off the first tee. Um, if that's not what you want, then there, there is other places for you to go. You can't be, um, you can't be everything to everybody. Um, and I think that's how we've, that's how we've got a past. Um, it's a bit of courage, Robbie, because golfers aren't 100%. backward yep. with their complaints, are they, to the GM? Oh no! Speaking. Oh no! Yes, <laughs> yep. they're not. Pretty vocal and complaining about the size of the the cucumber cut in the salad or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't that sounds that like you're speaking from experience. <laughs> Have you heard somebody complain about the size of the cucumber? Uh, no, the, the complaint I'm thinking of is there was too much rock melon in the fruit salad. Oh, well, that's fair enough. No, you should have to put up with that. <laughs> that's a living it was, hell. They're just patting it, it out. <laughs> just patting it out with this cheap fruit. Oh, that's, yeah. out, uh, that's outrageous. In that endeavour, Robbie, does being a golfer yourself help yeah. in those instances, give you some yeah, cred with the golfers? It does, and I've, um, I'm just saying that that's what I want for our facility. I love going to private golf clubs. I was a, a member at where Adrian is a member at for a long time, and I loved it there, absolutely loved it. And despite there is, the rock melon in the fruit salad. Yeah. Despite the rock melon. And there's a, there is a, there's a space for all of that to coexist. Yes. Um, I, I still love turning up to private golf clubs and having the private golf club experience. It's fantastic, but it's just not what we're doing right now. At our place. Well, golf's a marketplace, isn't it? The public golf product can and should be different to the semi-private golf product, to the completely private golf product. And each comes with Mm -hmm. a price tag that you choose which you want to engage with based on same as you make every other decision. What sort of car you buy, what house you buy, where you live. Those decisions have all got multiple factors involved. And golf should be no different. But there there must be the affordable public golf Mm -hmm. option so that everybody has a chance to take part. Yeah, there'll be people listening to this who are horrified at some of these suggestions and they're like, oh, you oh, can't – the you, golf, you, you can't do that. But they, fear not. Like the, the thing that you're thinking of as golf is still there. There'll, right. there'll be other places where you can go and get that, um, you know, uh, closed fence experience if you want. Yeah. Like. They'll keep the riffraff off the property for you. Oh, <laughs> that's that's me. And and that's the the other thing with Moore Park, uh, guys. Is if, if it does close down there, where are those golfers? There, there is still an element of golfers in the inner city there. Where are they going to oh, go play? Robbie, there's, there's twenty <laughs> courses in like well, twelve well, golf courses within there. how many k's? And six yeah. of them are public yeah. access. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I saw I saw that mentioned. <laughs> that was in the, the yeah, that was in the report. Well, like, what, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go play? What you know? that really told you is that that shows the complete lack of understanding about the game which is not sort of anybody's fault but that's a complete lack of understanding about the game and what golf needs to do is make the analogies to those people that make sense to them and i think i was when i used the other it was the art gallery mm-hmm. we'll just take half the pictures out and put them somewhere else <laughs> they're just pictures you know that that's the same kind of thing and Claude yeah. Moore would be horrified by that as well. but the yeah. art gallery is the, that's true and golf is the same and that's where no understanding of the game can somewhat be hurt because you can see what she's thinking. Oh, well, the driving range makes a whole bunch of money, so we'll keep that. Yeah. We'll yeah. keep nine to keep the keep the golfers quiet. That they've had a win. They've still got nine holes of golf, and everything will just continue as normal. Yeah, and that's a real lack of understanding. Yeah. Actually, since we're back on that report, <laughs> the, the, there's uh, in the the initial survey that they sent out, or the initial phone survey that they did, 
which was pretty well conducted, mm-hmm. I think, apart from the horrendous questions that they asked. The questions really poisoned the well, um, which you know will skew the results. But despite that, this, is a, this was a random uh, phone survey to about 400 people in the area. 23% of the people interviewed, despite these questions, which were heavily biased towards an anti-golf uh, outcome, 23% said, no, no, leave it alone. And these aren't golfers that were responding. Mm. And you might say, oh, okay, well, 23%, that option lost because there were three options and 23% isn't one third, so it's lost. But that's, I think, the wrong way to look at it. Like, there's a lot that I found very encouraging from a golf Mm. point of view and the community support for golf in this. If you you put another survey out that's like, okay, art galleries, like, who's against art galleries? What number would that get? Or who's against anything like bass players or something you know like just pick something random that's that's what that 23 percent actually has to be compared against because it's what what's the general population's um appetite for keeping that thing compared to keeping some other thing and uh 23 i think was a pretty good outcome for golf and with with a lot a lot of stuff stacked against it but then the further survey that they did which was more of a community consultation where they invited people to respond. We're going to actually going to get the results quite skewed because you're going to get golfers. Golfers responding got then. involved and um, got headed as you'd imagine. There was fifty percent wanting to keep the eighteen hole golf course, and that that was a very good outcome. But again, the questions were skewed. In fact, that um, that survey that you had to fill out had an outrageous title, um, which again, this poisoning the well. Um, where you're trying to skew the result. The title of that survey was Creating More Public Parkland by Reconfiguring More Park Golf Course. And then it proceeds to ask the questions. Creating well, more public. We can't let that go. Not, Creating yeah. more public parkland. No, yeah. they're not. No, no of course they're right. not. There's absolutely not a single, no, no more grass than there was previously if they got their way. Yeah, that's no. right. So anyway, there, there's some encouraging stuff for golf there that there is community support for it. That was my takeaway from it, that people who are non-golfers actually appreciate that there's a golf course there. Many of them may not know why, but they're like, okay, no, leave leave well enough alone. Like, that's a great community it's asset. Not, it's that's not there. impacting me. It's not impacting me. Negatively. Uh, that's a great point. Great and, point. And some of the questions that were asked in this survey as well were the compromise questions. Like, and I think it even uses the word in there, like, do you choose A, get rid of it completely, B, a compromise solution where it's nine holes of golf and nine and, we and only and get eighteen parkland, hectares of parkland, or C keep eighteen holes of golf. That that's if you offer uninformed public the compromise solution, they're gonna go, they're gonna flock to that. But despite that, in the second survey, fifty percent of people chose to keep the golf course. So at every point, it was heavily biased towards getting a certain result, and yet the golf result came through quite strongly. We haven't yet pointed out the slap they took at old people. Yeah, that's right. So there was this attempt at um, playing to that cliche of like they they cherry-picked some data and said old men uh, overwhelmingly responded in favour of keeping the 18-hole golf course. Um, Scott Warren on Twitter, who posted a good little thread on this, pointed out that there was a bit of cherry-picking of that data. Um, If you actually look at the data and take um, people over 21 years of age and up who responded to this. Something like 40% of those people were in favour of keeping the golf course. So almost all the adults wanted to keep the golf course. Um, and again, that's 
so there was just cherry picking of data. I did take away though that seventy three percent of women wanted to cut the course, mm-hmm. and I think that's a pretty clear message for golf that uh, golf doesn't do a very good job of engaging with women. Really? Seriously? No, it's a surprise. Are you sure? Surprising finding. Yeah, and there's so I'm um, tied up in it. Th- that and the thing that if you don't get involved and start informing non-golfers about the options like Robbie's doing, then they're going to go to the simple solution, which is to cut, cut, cut. Because yeah, so, it doesn't affect me. I don't use it, so I don't yeah, care. Yeah. Uh, therefore, cut and it, it. It just seems like, oh, okay, you just draw a line there. Yeah. And, you know, golf, golf on that side. That's right. Create parkland. You can, you can keep your golf. There. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah. Now I can walk my, my dogs over here, maybe, if I decide to one day. Um, Robbie, just on that other side of it, people coming to golf, people being drawn to the game itself, and Adrian's touched on a really important one there with women. Golf's got a whole bunch of internal issues to deal with that, that plug into some of this stuff with more park and what we've seen with those survey results. Have you seen any response from the community where they're more open to giving golf a go, I suppose would be the easy way to say. Yeah, and you said earlier that, look, potentially that's skewed by the uh, yeah, the post-COVID uptake of golf. But even prior to then, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we, we make ourselves available to the football clubs around. Uh, we've had a bunch of those players and then therefore their players' families uh, take up golf. And I think that's simply because we've opened up our facility to them as a sporting club. So that's a, a small example of a positive uptake that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. And here's, here's a big question that I've only just sort of thought of and I'm not sure where I stand on this. Are we wasting too much of our energy – disagreeing with the clover moors of the world and trying to fight that battle, would we be better off putting that energy into saying, well, that's their stance. They don't want to engage. We know that. The open invitation to come on the podcast, which still stands, by the way, Clover, or anybody in your office who might be listening, you're more than welcome to come on the pod and have this kind of a discussion. You can call the... Uh, an engagement to increase. <laughs> we might do a survey to increase the size of more park to thirty-six holes. Well, we'll, maybe we'll do a survey on Twitter just amongst pre- our listeners of whether clo- let's clo- presuppose the, the, the result in the other direction. <laughs> That's exactly right. But the bigger question: Are we are we wasting energy on that and golf? This amorphous mass that we just call golf. Should we be using our energy, Robbie, to explore and proactively execute some of the things that you've talked about today, and some of the ideas that we know get thrown around about making golf a more inclusive game? Um, yeah, look, totally, I agree. Um, whether it's too late for more Parker, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's not too late. But 100% agree we should be getting on the front foot and opening up our green space to other activities that the community can enjoy. It, it's the only way to go. Hang on, a golf course is green space? Is that what I'm pretty sure I read. It is. That, that it is. They're they going to convert space. it to green space. <laughs> no, 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 it is green space. It's already green space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's well, already and green public, space. Public green space? No, no, it's got a fence. The public can't. No, it's got a fence. Okay. Um, All right. What do you reckon about that idea, Adrian? We're wasting too much time. Because look, it's, it's infuriating. This, uh, and it needs to be pointed out and whatnot. But is there, is there really any benefit to be had by getting Clover more on the podcast? Uh, I don't know. I'd be concerned that during the course of the podcast, I'd somehow negotiate it down to like, 16 holes or Which 12 holes. Which is why I'm in control six of holes or something like that. turns your microphone uh, down. <laughs> exactly. So I'd be like, oh, I have an idea. And, yeah. and I'd suddenly more parks down to three holes. It's a putt putt golf yeah. course. That's right. <laughs> but um, that said, uh, the the process of it, uh, one, one of my main takeaways from reading this report is that this isn't for me, this process. Like, no, it, it's, it's, a, it's a misery. Oh, this. It's horrible. You can horrible. tell, like, the letters that are being written. 
It's just, I'm going to make a statement. You're going to make a statement. Just talking at each other. There's no real engagement between the principals. Um, and they're just looking to come to an outcome which gets them all out of it with the popularity intact. Um, so I, my takeaway from it was the actual pro, the political process of going through these things I, I find detestable. There's no actual sort of scientific method to the way they've done these surveys or anything. It's, it's actually not getting a great result for the community. Um, no matter how they, approach it because they're just not the right people to be doing this stuff they're you know it's the political uh the political influence in this is just it's overwhelming on both sides and i just didn't enjoy that part of it at all so the protest the the process i find really distasteful i don't mind looking at the the result of this and criticizing it Which um is completely <laughs> that's divorced totally yeah. from the process and that's not how the process works that's right and and i think there's plenty of people in golf and outside of golf who could make great contributions. And a lot of my objection to this thing is that they've, you've got the wrong people going straight to the solution and then taking that solution out to the public. Um, I think if you had a little bit more of a brain's trust going in on the front end of that process, coming up with better ideas and, and stopping short of going straight to the solution, starting to educate all of the players involved. Maybe it's a little bit too utopian, but. Um, is that process important? Well, if you don't I think have a that is, goal, what's the point? Indeed. But I do think that is something that is worthwhile doing, is informing and educating people about different options and what golf means to people in terms of exercise, what golf means to the community in terms of the environment, um, and, uh, you know, just, just sort of putting putting in play a little bit more of an informed opinion. Or what Sandy teaches us daily with his... Post that he's, his Twitter post that he's putting up from Oakley Golf Course. That's right. 90 yeah. year old bloke who's yeah. two times out of the house every week is to go and play golf. That's right. Still walking the course. The alternative is the cliche desperate things that you grab at after you're under threat, which are things like, Oh, this should be a championship golf course. It's a championship golf course. Don't you know that? It's championship. That just nobody, it just doesn't cut through. Um, oh, you're guaranteed to lose your golf course. If that's your yeah. argument with a non-golfer, <laughs> you've already right. lost. They that's don't even right. understand. Most well, golf, golfers don't know what a championship is. Golf's 18 holes. Don't you know that? Golf's 18 holes. You can't go to nine holes. And it's like, they just don't, they don't get it. Your art gallery, um, analogy aside, which is pretty powerful. Indeed. But yeah. That, anyway, that's, that's my thoughts. So, yes, it is worth doing, but, um, with a more informed. The disappointing debate. thing about that whole survey, what it is that these are a bunch of not unintelligent people. Clover Moore is not an unintelligent person and nor are the people who work with her in her office and in her party system, the people that get her. You can't, I won't say you can't get elected to mayor if you're an idiot, but it's much less likely. And so it's extremely disappointing because they would understand academically and intellectually every point you've making about, made about skewing this survey before it was even started. Yep. They understand all of that and they know that po to be the truth. The well. yep. And yet they've gone ahead and done it. So there's a motivation there that's beyond their stated desire. Their anti-golf is the problem. It's something about golf that's the problem. Uh, and that's really kind of disappointing and, frankly, quite childish. Yeah. But then the uninformed part of that has them attacking the wrong part of golf. No, they're, of course. They're attacking, you know, the last place they should be attacking is Moore Park, well, 90,000 rounds. If you want yes. golf to become what its image is with non-golfers, take away public golf. And that's what it does become. It becomes a rich person's pursuit only for the elite. Yeah, yeah. That's what it becomes if you remove public golf. And I don't understand how people like Nikki Gemmell, Jenna Price and Clovemore can't understand that at an intellectual level. 
That's very hard to defend. You you remove access to golf from those who can least afford it. What do you think will happen to the game? It will become only the expensive It'll private just be clubs. Full of people complaining about the mix <laughs> of the fruit salad. <laughs> who, just- who really think that the consistency <laughs> of bunker sand is what's important yeah. about the game. Uh, loads to continue to consider. Robbie, can I just say, I think that uh, what you're doing, what Link Shell Cove's doing, and some of the others you've mentioned there, the course in Colorado, their common ground, those examples are super important. We need to give more space in our golf press and the general press to the things that you're doing down there and tell the good stories of golf just as part of balance. It's what Sandy is doing. Uh, so congrats on that, mate. And it, I'm sure it's not an easy battle all the time, and I'm sure it is a battle quite often. Uh, it's a, it's this. the right battle though, Rod. But it is the right battle and right. You know, it, ultimately the outcome uh, is probably beyond any of our control, but at least you're on the right side of history uh, and doing for the right reasons something that could be really positive. So, mate, c- congratulations on that and thanks for taking some time to chat today. It's been great to catch up and it won't be the last time. Perfect. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Adrian. And just just lastly, Robbie, how's how things holding up there with all of the oh, rain, rain yeah. apocalypse? Armageddon. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It's been ridiculous. We've been closed um, since Saturday, guys, and I've been here now. I've been here now 15 years, and I think the longest we've ever closed is two days in a row. For um, rain. We're closed, again, we're closed again today. It's just ridiculous down here. Yeah. And yeah. that's nothing on what's going on in the North Coast. The North Coast no, is just right. a disaster. Yeah. No. Do you have a, a – <laughs> This is, I, I, I can't believe I want to say this, but Rob, Robbie, do you have the rule when it gets really wet, the cart path only rule? Yes, we have to do that, yes. You do yeah. that? Okay, all right. Yeah, I won't judge. That. It's all time. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you going with this? <laughs> we have to do that, yeah. Just on carts, quickly, Robbie, <laughs> what role can public golf play in encouraging people not to use them? It's a sticky situation, isn't it? There's no question it that is, there's a financial yeah. benefit to golf carts, but yeah, yeah. it'd be better well, if less people used them, wouldn't it? Well, Rod, um, another positive, in my opinion, to come out of COVID, obviously increased play, but um, when we first came back, I think we limited carts to one person per cart, and that was just, you know, too confusing and too hard. It looked like Mad Max out there, wouldn't it, with people (laughs) zooming around everywhere? I know. So, we found, um, mate, we've we've found that um, since then, obviously our rounds have increased, but more of our regular cart users are now walking. Uh-huh. Which has been fantastic, and we've actually sold in the in the shop. We've sold, um, uh, you know, the little pencil bags. We've yeah, sold yeah. a bunch of them, and um, I, I wrote a little piece uh, when we shut down. I wrote a little piece about the benefits of golf and what you can do. And one of the things I wrote about was, um, you know, take three clubs out and just, you know, just play and get you to help you play different shots and stuff like that. A few of our um, regular golfers and members have taken that up. And a lot of these guys now carry four or five clubs around and play in the comps like that. So, a bunch of wokes like, you've got down absolute, there. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I love that. I love that about the, uh, yeah, try and take the positives out of what happened in COVID. It's been fantastic. Mm. There, well, there's a course here in Sydney that it had a lot of rain and they re- they recently had to, well, this is before the, the rain apocalypse, but they, they had a lot of rain and they had to go to, it's not a course that had car parts, so they had to go to carry bag only. Was the policy not even push buggies? Yeah, they couldn't even have a push buggy. And people—that's right. And people were sneering at that. And I was thinking, oh, actually, actually sounds pretty good. Carry it's funny, you know, cool, the, yeah. you say there, Robbie, get people out of the carts. Obviously, long, not everybody can do. As long as the course is an easy enough walk, and good golf should be walkable. Yep. Uh, that's one of the things that makes it good golf. Not that there should be no hills, obviously, at all, but that that it is walkable. It's amazing the effect, isn't it, when people are forced out of their carts, like a whole bunch of habits that we were forced out of in COVID. 
that you suddenly look back and went, I'm not going to go back to doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, that's what we found as well. Yeah, look, and that's not great, not the, as you said, not the best financially for the business, but you, know, you keep the greater, keep the greater good golfer uh, in, in the top of your mind, and, you, and it's a good thing. It really is. Only you could get the money back for the cart path when you dug it up. Then it would be a real financial win, wouldn't it? What's a cart path cost? I think it's about a million bucks for an 18 hole oh, yeah. concrete cart path. Yeah, yeah. It's around yeah, about a million. Yeah. That's what it costs to install it. That's a lot of rentals to pay that back. Well, I never all the other damage. I've had this discussion on Twitter and I'm pretty sure I was roundly <laughs> defeated in the they can't be a financial positive carts. I think they are, that the evidence does show mm-hmm. that. Oh, they, yeah. they make money ultimately yep. more than what they they cost. But still it'll be nicer and it'll be better for everyone. It'll be better for the game's image if we didn't have cards. The, the image of the the you know, the drunken buffoon in a golf cart on a golf course is the one that most people have. Uh, I was gonna say even when you were driving up to the father with his couple of kids playing soccer, the fact that you're driving up in a golf cart makes it look intimidating. Yeah, that's you, right. You're probably yeah. right, yeah. I didn't yeah. think about that. Did well, you have no. Ranger across the front or Marshall? No, we don't. You should have Welcome that, no. written across the front. <laughs> that's right. Like, just that's like right. party streamers or something coming off it in the I, I should welcome. have taken the drinks cart, then I would yeah. have been welcome. <laughs> yeah, dear. Yeah. So, Robbie, Robbie, fabulous of you to take some time, mate. Go back out there and have a look at the golf course being soaked again for the rest of the yeah. day and come up with- Will do. Sure Thank you, you guys. And look, um, after we open the mini golf course, uh, yeah, please, please come on down. Well, we yeah, I definitely put a, I've got put a big plug in for the mini golf. We want to um, get people going down and seeing that. Link Shell Cove. How do people find it on the web? Yeah, we're all on the web, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Fantastic. Do yourself a favour and get down there. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate your time. Adrian, Thanks, great Rob. to have you on board. Thanks, Rob. Episode 69, done and dusted. We'll be back to do it all again next week with episode 70 of the Good Good Golf Podcast.